Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Hello again, friends, and welcome to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. This is your host, John Russ, and I'm here with Pastor Frank Friedman. And Frank, we have a guest in our studio today, author and speaker, Tracy Levinson. You've known her for many years, Frank. Tell us a little about Tracy before we turn the mic over to her. My goodness, John. Um, Tracy, I would describe her as a lady who authentically bubbles the life of Jesus. You know, I find there's a lot of people out there that bubble <laughs> in the body of Christ. <laughs> But I, I hear a lot of facade, I hear a lot of uh, verbiage, but with Tracy, there is this honesty. Uh, she doesn't try to, to hide and be something she's not. Uh, she's a lady living in a fallen world and experiences that fallen world, uh, but she also experiences Jesus and that's what she gets excited about and wants to talk about. Uh, she's written a book. Maybe Tracy, you can tell us about that. But um, authenticity, genuineness—that's what I I think when I see Tracy Levinson. So Tracy, it's great to have you with us. It's great to be with both you, John and Frank. Welcome, welcome, welcome across the time zones. Welcome. So tell us, Tracy. Tell us about your ministry. Uh, where, what its focus is, how did it get started? Perhaps that's a good place. How did your ministry get started? Well, it's funny that you say that because I could tell you about a book that I wrote and I could okay. tell you about a project that I'm in right now, but I don't think any of that would make sense unless you knew where I started, which would be that I began my life in a home where I learned nothing about God. We didn't really go to church. I had some friends who kind of took me to their Sunday schools when I did a sleepover, but I really knew nothing of the life of God. And I remember even as like a little bitty girl, I mean, this sounds crazy, but I remember sensing some, a sense of emptiness or loneliness in my, in the deepest part of my soul. <laughs> and I remember having the thought as a little girl, I wonder if there's a God, and there wasn't really a place for me to ask that question. And so I just kind of meandered through my life until the age of 30. Oh, wow. And that and that is when I finally came to a place of believing in God. And because of the way God wired me, when the moment came, when I said yes to Jesus, I didn't know any theology. I didn't know any of the scriptures, but it was as if the light came on and I was alive and I didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> well, tell us what were the circumstances? How did that happen? That's a pretty old age to uh, come to Jesus. 
It is. It is an old age. But I, what's interesting about that is I went from being, a, I mean, I was truly an atheist as a child. I was a proclaimed, um, and I don't I hope if there's kids listening to this, turn off the thing. But when I figured out that there was perhaps no Santa Claus, I my brain thought, well, if they lied about Santa Claus, they're probably lying about God too. Because in my little world, Santa was higher than my concept of God, because I, mm. I really knew nothing about God. And so I decided it's a point where I claimed myself, I was like in fifth grade, and I was an atheist, and I was an atheist for a very long time. And then when I was in high school, I had a dear friend who had an evening where he got very dramatic, and he decided he was going to kill himself. And he jumped in his car and I did the stupidest thing. <laughs> I jumped in my car after him and I chased him down a highway in the state of Texas. And I, I think we were going like almost 100 miles an hour. Kids don't do this. Stupid. And while I was driving, chasing him, thinking if I didn't, I don't know what I thought I was going to do if I caught him, that I would protect, you know, keep him from killing himself. I started praying to a God I didn't believe in. Hmm. And I, all of a sudden, I shifted from that, that moment for years to being a, a seeker. And I was a genuine, like, tr I was studied all world religions. I, I was very new age. I looked, tried to, I kept trying to find my way to God. And then finally, I was married to this really cute Jewish boy that I had met in acting school. And he and I were not doing well. Our marriage was not going well. And we stumbled into a church and I heard the gospel clearly for the first time in my life in this church. And I was, you know, 29, 30. And for about a year, I kept hearing the gospel and I kept being frustrated because I kept thinking, this is so I, I just frustrated me that Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And this is the part that I thought was so rude. And there's no way to the father except through me. And, you know, I mean, that, you know, I would use a bad word back then, but that something to me off. I mean, that just made me really mad. I was like, that is so narrow minded. <laughs> so narrow, right? Yep. And I kept trying to find my way to God without the Jesus part. And then. Finally, I had a dear friend who had been sharing the gospel with me and he fell asleep one day and he didn't wake up. He just died. Mm. And his death was instrumental in me. Finally, with some of my questions unanswered, saying yes to Jesus. And that was the moment where I felt what Frank always talks about and we'll get into later but frank i actually want you to just to define this word thank you for being a theologian boys the zoe life of god i i i felt alive like the whole you know where the bible says born again you know that phrase that before i was a christian would have horrified me like born again that's the weird people right but i <laughs> i was born again and i felt it and i didn't I said I sought knowledge after that? I just was like, what is this? What is this thing? So, Frank, will you take a second and describe what the Zoe life of God is? Absolutely, Tracy. It'd be a great privilege. And you know, it's funny listening to you. I found Christ at 24, but I had gone to a church through some trauma. 
and it was reading the track that they gave to me. And this is what it said. It said, a man is born, goes to school, gets a job, gets married, has kids, dies. And then the question was asked, is that all there is to life? And so life as man lives it in the Greek language is called bios. It's the word from which we get biography or biology, physical life. We have it and we live it. But deep within each of us, there is this sense that we have to be more than a bunch of protoplasm waiting to become manure. And that is that we were designed to contain zoe, another Greek word for life. And it would be defined as life as God lives it. So God created us to put his life in us so that he could express his life through us as the unique expression of his life. So there's only one person who can do it the way Frank Friedman does it, and that's Frank Friedman. And there's only one person that can express the life of God the way Tracy does. And that makes each of us in incredibly significant, incredibly valuable. And I know, Tracy, in my own life, that's what made me want to know God better, um, want to know him more, because he designed it this way. So I hope that was what you were looking for. It was. It's so interesting because I felt that life. And then I remember just going, okay, what is this thing? Because I really didn't even have a lot of Christian friends. And I I read the Bible for the first time in my life. I had I, I knew nothing about the Bible. I, we had two little kids at the time, and I started in Proverbs. And I mean, it's probably not true, but I felt I really was so foolish. And as I read Proverbs, I would be like, oh, everything was like a new idea to me. So like, <laughs> you know, like, like where it says, um, I was having some struggles with my kids and it was like, there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Well, I was the type of person that didn't ask people for advice. And I'm like, oh, that's a good idea. And so, or, and when you, and you, when you seek counsel, seek it from those who actually bear fruit. So if you have a friend who's not, is, you know, real negative about her marriage and you'd like marital advice, maybe she's not the best person. There's probably not a lot of fruit there, right? Mm. So I started applying what I was learning in Proverbs to the best of my ability. And I started actually experiencing positive, I mean, genuinely, it felt like miracle grow. Reading the Bible for me at that time was like miracle grow. I felt like, wow. And I wasn't doing it from a, I was little this little girl reading it up to by myself like nobody was telling me what to do I, I hadn't I hadn't gotten introduced to religion yet I was just trying it and it was working <laughs> and so I my first encounter with the Bible was actually very alive and active and uh, really life-changing except my Jewish husband wasn't very happy okay so unpack that <laughs> a little more if you can you're married you have a couple of kids you stumbled into a church, you saw Jesus in a way you've never seen him before. What happened with family and hubby? Well, it wasn't pretty. So it was awkward because I came from a culture where it's hard to explain, like, at least for me, like my brother and sister, they I'm sure they have their own story and their own walk with God. But my experience was I grew up in a non-Christian home. And when I talked to my mom about God, it was not positive. She was very anti-God. And so I was embarrassed and I didn't want her to know because I knew she wouldn't like it. Almost like 
the guys, Frank and um, John were laughing at me podcast audience because I'm doing this podcast in a closet and they were teasing me about being in the closet but it felt like I was coming out of the closet when my mom found out I was a Christian that's what my experience and things got weird between me and my mom it, they really did and got a little weird my friend group was not you know I was obsessed with the Bible just because I was like wow this thing's amazing <laughs> like have you read it and so I definitely had some zeal but my husband was not thrilled about it. And he was annoyed because at night I was reading the Bible <laughs> and I'd be like, this is amazing. And he was like, this is not who I married and was not even sure he was wanting to uh, stick around in some ways. And so he started going to this church with me and, and the pastor, it was a back in the day. Do y'all remember the Willow Creek affiliate churches? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That was very yes, secret, very seeker friendly. And everybody was so he's Bruce is super relational and everybody was so kind. And we ended up having a flood in our home in Chicago. It was a 500 year flood where our entire bottom half of our floor had five feet of water in it. I'm sure you can relate, Frank, since mm, you've, yes, you ma'am. know, you know, <laughs> flooding. And this church that we only been to for a little while, everybody just dropped. They quit. They didn't go to their jobs and everybody came and took care of our kids and gave us food. And we just never experienced anything like that. And it was kind of like, well, what's their motive? But they we didn't understand that the life, the Zoe life of God makes you want to do things like that, you know? And so he just got so touched. And a year after I became a Christian, He started wrestling with, he finally started looking at the Old Testament and started looking at the prophecies. And he said the prayer to receive Jesus a year after I did. When he finally came to the point where he realized he wouldn't have to denounce his Judaism to be a follower of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So that was the beginning of that. And then I just... I don't know how to explain it because Frank knows this and we'll get into this a little bit, but the past like three to four years of my life have been very challenging. But I would say from my salvation to about four years ago, although I had, I've had trials the whole time, I just kind of in a way was on a, I don't know how to explain it, but I was on a God high and it wasn't fake. It was Christ's life. And I've never really been that mesmerized by planet earth anyway, um, <laughs> my, really, I haven't, my, my, I had a baby sister who passed away when I was three years old Sorry. and I, thank you. My sister was six. So for her, it was like really profound. And that, again, that's her story. But for me at three, think about it at three, your brain doesn't really conceptualize that. So I just accepted as a little girl that death on planet earth was part of the story. So I've never been, I've just, I don't know how to explain it, but my entire life, I've always been aware what Proverbs says, where it says, teach me to number my days to, you know, that I could gain a heart of wisdom. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I always have numbered my days. And so I would say the thrilling part of my life was I met the Lord and I felt the spirit and I felt the Zoe life of God. And God was navigating me through these waters of this life. I did go to churches. I did hear all the things they would say about, you know, performance. It was kind of confusing. I did struggle a little bit with, you know, thinking that if I didn't confess my sin, that 
I, they kept telling me I was going to lose fellowship with God, which I never really felt I was losing fellowship, but they told me that. And, you know, and then y'all are going to think this is interesting, but I was going to a church that was really big on the tithe, but it was not the tithe, like give to your church, give to those who are preaching. It wasn't like that. It was definitely a conditional, like, it was like blessings and curses. Like if you give, you know, and, and I started going, okay. So what happened was I decided to spend an entire summer studying the tithe, just me and God just went to town. And as I studied it, I began to bring, I don't, I don't know how to explain it, but it began to bring clarity about, hold on. When I'm looking at these passages, I've got to start paying attention to who they're written to, what covenant are they under, you know, is this written to me or is this, you know, written for me, right? All that. And so um, I was a Bible teacher at my church at the time. And I, and anyway, it was just hilarious because as I was studying the tithe, I went to a church that they looked at your tithing records to see if you, if your heart was right with God. Mm, <laughs> like, yeah. And don't ask me how I ended up there. And but the other teachers kind of started pulling away from me when I started, they'd say, well, what did you find when you, you know, and then I'd share and then they didn't, oh, that made them uncomfortable. And, and then I started getting a hold of the clarity of covenants. And I started thinking, who's teaching this? And at first it was difficult for me to find people who were preaching a clear gospel message of Jesus plus nothing of Jesus Christ him crucified, party is over, <laughs> right? And the two things I became persuaded of that have to this day, like, Kent, I, I'm so persuaded, like, go ahead and stick a fork in me, like stick a fork in me, is that I am permanently righteous, you know, and, um, you know, it's like the eternal is ever present with me at all times, right? That not only am I righteous, but he is present in me. And I became so persuaded of those things that all of a sudden, every time I would hear a message or listen to the Bible, just the clarity of covenant became really profound for me and in my life. Mm. Yeah, in actuality, I, please don't ever hear me try to correct you, Tracy, but you know, when you said the party ended in a very real way, that's true to the old covenant. And then the greater reality, let the party begin as, as we celebrate an economy of life and uh, freedom in him. So maybe you could uh, tell us about some of those changes in your own experience once you encountered life. And, and you did reference that the last three to four years were tough. So maybe, I don't know, you can weave that into in whatever capacity you want to. Yeah, I think it's important that I do weave that in. I do want to say this, though. I think part of, as we become more like Jesus, as we walk with him and he teaches us, I think one of the things is humility. And I want to say, both of you, please correct me. <laughs> That's one of the things that I think that we tiptoe so much around each other. And it's like, uh, what does Proverbs say? Somebody help me here. One of you smarty pants men about correction that a wise man desires to be corrected, right? 
Correct. Well, you know, technically that wasn't a correction. It was an addition. I agree. <laughs> that That is correct. But, it, but in general, it's still a good thing. Um, okay. So here's what I would say. What changed in my life? Well, I noticed that people who didn't have a, a revelation, I don't know what the word is. All I know is that when somebody is not persuaded that they're righteous because of Christ when it's conditional, like for instance, um, uh, this is this is just a kind of an offshoot, but um, I had a conversation with a woman who is a pastor in another state and we got into a conversation and I knew because I'd been listening to some of her stuff because some of the girls I'd been mentoring, I could tell that she preaches a, you're going to lose your salvation if you don't, if you don't do everything right kind of message. She has to come out and say it, but I could tell it. And we got into a very challenging conversation where I was just, I just kept saying the simple, the simple gospel. I'm just so thankful. <laughs> I just kept saying, I'm so thankful that Christ is in me. He lives in me. He's present in me that, you know, I'm permanently righteous because of him. And, and that, you know, I've already been crucified. You know, I no longer live. He lives in me. And because it was a gift, I can't lose it. And we got into a conversation where she said this to me. She said, so you think people that are gay can go to heaven? And I just, I just looked at her and I said, and of course I didn't say this, but it's no big deal. But her husband's like, her husband's kind of overweight. And I said, absolutely. But I was thinking to myself, oh my gosh. And your husband has kind of a gluttony issue probably. And I sometimes have an extra glass of wine and like, <laughs> oh goodness gracious. I sure hope my perfection isn't my standard for the life of God living in me. And so what I have found in my life is that I'm grieved. I'm actually grieved when I see the stress that people feel when they feel like there's something that they have to do to maintain this life. And I do think, and I want to get into this and because I know this is both of y'all's heartbeat is, and we, that's the foundation from which we live. It's like Christ being in us permanently, his love being present in us permanently, his righteousness, our salvation, all of that is a foundational place of comfort and peace. But, we ha still need to find the way to live in him and through him. Frank, John, do y'all want to comment about that? We have a dear friend who ministers on college campuses, and John and I were discussing this just a couple of weeks ago, Tracy. He is a person who's constantly challenged, you know, because of where he ministers. Why is Christianity the only way? And he came up with a phrase years ago and he shared it with me. And this is what he said. He said, Christianity is the only way to God where you start your journey complete. Oh, oh. And isn't that wonderful? And then he said, now the rest of your life is learning to trust him to live out of that completeness. That's right. The word he used, Frank, if you remember, was he cons all we need to do is learn to consent, to give mm -hmm. our consent to Christ's life in us and then let him show us what that life looks like 
uh, in every circumstance that we come across. That word consent has really stuck with me because it's, it's basically a relinquishing. We're not on probation. Tracy, you sort of mentioned this in a roundabout way, but uh, our listeners, we're not on probation with our God. We are free, completely free. We are forgiven. And our task is not to keep in line and to walk so that we don't violate the rules of our probation. Our task is to learn to say, yes, sir, and step aside and consent to his life in us. And that's a very freeing walk. Uh, the party, I heard you both mention the party starts. Uh, it's a party to learn how to trust our father uh, as we walk hand in hand with him. Yeah, you know, John, as I'm just listening to you, I love that term probation. We are not on probation. I may have to steal that in Jesus' name. Uh, but, you know, the other comforting verse that kind of goes with that is that one out of Proverbs. Tracy, you mentioned Proverbs a lot. But it says the righteous man falls seven times and gets up again. And I love that verse because it doesn't say the righteous man never falls. It's that he keeps getting up. And if you're into biblical numerology, which you know, I don't put a lot of stock into it, but seven is the number of perfection. If you translated it that way, the righteous man is a perfect failure who keeps getting up. <laughs> and boy, does that minister to me. Well, that ministers to me, too. I was going to say, wait, John, were you going to say something? No, no. Go right ahead, man. This is your show, your story. I don't know. I like to learn. So it felt like I don't know how to explain it, but. It wasn't like my life was easy. It wasn't like I didn't have trials. My, my marriage was, it's parts of my marriage were like wonderful, truly wonderful. And the parts were difficult through the years. But there was this God carpet ride that I was on. And I, I don't even know how to explain it, guys. All I know is that it wasn't that hard for me to fly with God. And then I love what you said, Frank, about the righteous man falling seven times because I feel like I fell seven floors. <laughs> like, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I didn't feel like I fell seven times. It felt like I fell, I, I hit, you know, an elevator that wasn't working and it fell, I fell seven floors. And really, um, I feel so privileged to to share the difficult part of my story with you because I have permission by the people that I love to do that. So I love that. So here's what happened. So I became a believer. And then my husband, and it's interesting because my husband has had a, had an encounter with Jesus about two years ago that I'll talk a little bit more about in a minute, but it's so profound. And he is so profoundly shifted from it that we just don't know. We're not sure when he really exchanged his life, you know, had the divine exchange when Christ's life became his life. But he said the prayer, you know, the magic prayer. Mm -hmm. Um, He said that he said yes to Jesus. And we were, you know, in our early 30s, we had two small children. And Jesus has forgiven this, doesn't even remember it. But my husband had an affair. And I mean, I was, you know, how many of your listeners have been through that where that's happened to them? probably uh, many. And it was devastating. I was a brand new Christian, had these two kids, didn't really have strong community yet. And 
I just had been listening to some Christian radio and I asked my husband if he would leave, although I didn't want him to leave. But that's that was what the advice I'd heard on the Christian radio, that sometimes it's better to take some time away. And and then he, you know, came back and I had made a decision in my heart that I would totally forgive him and and move forward. But I didn't want to my life to be that and that if it happened again, I would probably not want to remain. And so we were married and I don't know how to explain it other than my husband was very sweet. You, If you met him, you'd adore him. But he was just really immature. And with that immaturity came some painful things, you know, maybe inappropriate flirting, nothing really dramatic like the affair happened. But he also was really... There just were many, many issues. He had a lot of health issues and he was, he took a lot of medication and it affected our intimacy, some of the medications he took and just, and it was just the way our relationship was is that I had no say in his life. He lived his life. And if no matter what I said, I just, he was really sweet and charming, but he did what he wanted. And it was, there was a lot of separation between us. And so that was like in the early years. And as time went on, things got better. And then about four years ago, my mother got brain cancer. His father died. His sister died. He was taking about six pills a day at that time, which were all silly. One was because he didn't like to pee at the, in the middle of the night. And one was because his hand hurt from arthritis. And I mean, it just he, he just was a guy that would go to the doctor and just take whatever they told him to or do whatever procedure they told him to. And, and it was, I really just never had any say in any of it. And so we bought this property in the middle of the hill country and we were going to do this big project. And my ministry was just, I was speaking a lot and traveling a lot. You know, I, my book was doing well. And all of a sudden I was, <laughs> I was traveling around talking about sexuality because my book is called Unashamed, Candid Conversations About Dating, Love, Nakedness, and Faith. And it's really a, a book for young single people who are wrestling with the dating world. And I'm happy to talk about sex. It's, it, God had me talking about the topic of sex to talk about what real purity looks like, which is Christ, right? And while this is happening, my husband just, he'll let me tell you, but he was totally struggling with impotency because of all the drugs he was taking. And, and again, he was precious about it and let me be, you know, honest where I needed to be about that. But I was just thought, this is crazy. This is crazy that I, that God has me traveling and speaking and, and, and talking about, he's using the platform of sexuality to talk about the gospel. This is and then I was struggling in my marriage with the fact that he didn't want to stop taking all these pills, which were causing this problem. And then what happened is in the middle of all of this, there was an incident and it sounds small, but there was an incident and a, a party and it, there was a private message that happened. Anyway, he was inappropriate. It wasn't overtly horrible. Like on paper, it didn't even look like it just looked like he was being stupid and flirty and it wasn't like this horrible thing. He, he didn't do anything physically inappropriate. But when I found out about it, and when he was not quite honest about it, when it happened, something happened to me. And I, I mean, I'll cry just telling you something happened to me. It was like something, 
it was like I had just been so I, I had been so resilient in my marriage. I had been so gracious in my marriage. I had been so empowered, really, honestly. And all of a sudden, it was like you'll take something until you can't take it anymore. And something happened in me where I and, and of course, I was already exhausted. My mom, who I had a difficult relationship with, who was really like she was truly tormented, I believe. And I was often her target of wrath. And I was taking care of her son while she was dying. And, you know, you get it. You get it. Right. It's that perfect storm. It's that seven floors yes. fall, falling seven floors. Right. And something I adore my husband and adored him. And there was something about this last incident of and it was really just folly. I mean, he, he's not an evil person. It, it, it was selfish and foolish and childish, which I was used to. Right. But it was like I fell seven floors and I couldn't get up. And, and what was fascinating about it is talk about Christ's life. So it was like I hit rock bottom. Right. I hit rock bottom. And like I really found that the bottom I still had Jesus. <laughs> like, I, st I mean, for real, like, because there's no, no pretending here. Like, I, I didn't, I still had Jesus. And Jesus was the rock at my bottom. And I had a friend named um, Colleen. And our favorite topic was the Zoe life of God. We would talk about it. And she was, she and I talked during this whole time. And I had, I had to spread it out because I was such a mess during this past couple of years. And so, and I, and I, I'm not a, Frank said it, Frank, am I a pretender? No, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know how to do that. I have no interest in that. Right. I'm not interested in that, but, and I've always been able to help myself. And when I say help myself, uh, what I mean by that is to help myself, but also let God help me. And I got to a place where I like didn't trust myself because people that are in as much pain as I was in do really stupid things, <laughs> like really stupid things. And so I picked about four or five women and just said, and I had Frank on my wish list, which I ended up getting to talk to Frank. And that was so profound. He and his wife were so profound, but I knew enough to tell on myself. And so what I did is I picked five people and I just kept, I would spread it out. So I didn't burden anyone. And just, if I was having a really hard night, oh, I forgot to mention one thing in the midst of all this, my husband wants to come back and, you know, now he, he wants to, you know, go to counseling and work on our marriage. And I'm, I'm still in this, I was probably in trauma as I was probably in shock and trauma. He got cancer. I forgot to mention that. <laughs> So he got cancer in the middle of all this and the cancer was going to be profound where he was going to have to have two surgeries and he decided he wanted to do chemo and he wanted to do radiation and all of this. And this isn't funny, but all of these things very likely would mean that he would be impotent for the rest of his life. And my head is just swirling in. How did this happen to me? And what I haven't said in the beginning of this is that, and I mean, just because everybody has their own perfect storm, but sex with my husband, when things were working, was my favorite thing. Like my favorite, favorite thing. It was, um, and it was never just a physical thing for me. I feel like God has given me a picture of Christ in the church. And I just think it's the coolest thing that God is one with us and desires intimacy with us. And I think communion is, is intimate. And I think sexuality is this beautiful picture and marriage of oneness and, 
it's just beautiful. It's so beautiful. And I think it's, it's my favorite thing. And so I just am like, this is crazy. Should I've not written a book on sex? Wow. The enemy is coming after me. And I don't know if any of that's true, but I, I picked it these people to share my pain with and my struggle with, it kept me safe because they would pray for me. They would correct me if I was thinking, if I was getting kooky, <laughs> you know, in my, in my, my days of trauma. And my one friend, Colleen, who I would talk about the Zoe life of God with towards the end of this journey because I'm in a better place now. I'm just sharing my difficulty in hopes that, I mean, what's the point of me sharing any of this unless it's helpful to somebody else? But she passed away several months ago. And I wrote this about her. I said, the veil was so thin between how my friend Colleen lived in this broken world and the invisible God she laughed and with and trusted. So a leap into eternity seems easy for her. She is so alive, free from her earth suit. And so I leaned on my friends. I leaned on my God. What I would tell you is this is the crazy part. I am obsessed with the simple gospel. I can't believe it. Like, I can't believe I, I don't have it all figured out. Some people speak in tongues. Some people don't speak in tongues, think it's real, think it's not. Uh, people debate about the book of Revelation. I love all that stuff. I love learning about it. But I don't really care. <laughs> I mean, I care because I'm so interested, but I don't really care because what I really care about is just the fact that Jesus Christ is our life, that we are permanently righteous. We are permanently present with him. And that's what I care about. And so what I found is that that even that was challenged in me. And so let me explain. So my whole marriage my husband was confusing because he'd say something on one hand and then on the other hand, he would act really immature and, and disregard me. And I would pray because I had all this faith and I had all this, you know, what do you call it? Zeal. And you, it's like Peter, you know, God, Jesus, I'll never deny you or I'll, you know, I'm so great. And I would pray because I would have these encounters with God and all this fun stuff with God. And I think, oh God, I wish Bruce knew you like in this way where, you know, he would be excited about you and he would think about you and enjoy you the way I do, the way I do. <laughs> and so I just would say, God, whatever it takes, like if we have to lose all our money, like if we have, you know, just whatever it takes, God. And I'm not saying God made anything in my life that's not pretty happen mm -hmm. at all, but here's what happened. So when my husband this last time, because I mean, he could get away with a lot with me because even though I'm very verbal and I don't hide anything, I just, I'm not a controlling person, right? And I'm not a threatening person. And he, this last time when I, I left, you know, I left, I actually came, we had this house in uh, Texas and I came to this house we were remodeling here and he didn't know if I was going to come back and it scared him. And he finally had a consequence for his ugly behavior. And I was going to mention this in case there's someone listening to this. There's an article that if anybody wants to look it up, it's called Enough is Enough. It's by Gary Thomas. It's one of the best things I've ever read about when you're in a situation with somebody. It could be a family member. It could be a spouse where it's just there's some toxic behavior and how it's sometimes it's there's places where Christians can you need to walk away. 
if it's for a moment or a season or sometimes permanently. It just depends on your story and your situation and your walk with the Lord. But anyway, so I while we were separated, he agreed. I said, I'll meet with you, but it's going to have to be with this this couple that counsels. And so we went to this counseling session. And while we were there and, you know, if Bruce was here, he would tell you the story himself. But my husband, I, I, I witnessed, it uh, sounds crazy because I, I don't have a lot of crazy stories, but I witnessed my husband have an encounter with Jesus like Paul in Damascus. I'm not saying, <laughs> but mm. I lived with him, you guys. Like I, I, I don't, as far as I know, I don't have any pretending in me. And I lived with him. He is, he, cha- he literally changed and it took, I didn't believe he changed because I was so suspicious because he was, he was a big, like, tell me what I want to hear and then do what he wanted to do kind of guy. But I watched him over the past year. And as a matter of fact, while I was in the middle of watching him, I visited with Frank. Frank, do you remember that meeting? Yes, ma'am. Could never forget it. Life beginning life. Yeah, it was incredible. And I was still in that. I don't know. I, I don't know if he's, you know, and, it's been, I guess it's been almost two years now. I've never seen anything like it. Like I've never seen anything like it. He had an encounter with Jesus where he, well, I can't even explain it, but he had an encounter with Jesus that changed him forever. And he has a sense of the love of God in his heart and the reality of God and the reality of Christ in his heart. But all of a sudden now he's walking in the most beautiful way he's great he's he's really walking he has so much of the fruit of the spirit and he has consistently been walking in that and so then here i come around i'm all traumatized <laughs> literally i'm all traumatized i'm all worn out i feel like i have a friend one of the friends who walked me through this said do you remember flat stanley she goes you remind me of flat stanley mm. just like a flat pancake and it really has been this interesting time of me knowing that bitterness was not a choice, <laughs> right? And so I kept having to watch it. Like I had to watch myself. Okay, okay bitterness is, okay, Jesus, all right, here we go. Like walk me through this and having to walk through, you know, I don't think in every situation, every person needs to stay, but I did specifically have some encounters with Jesus in my prayer time and I just sensed the Lord wanted me to stay and to stay in my marriage. And so I have. And I, I mean, I would have loved Bruce and liked Bruce and been attracted to Bruce, whether I had stayed with him or whether I had left. Either way. We're I didn't, glad that you stayed. And I, I thank you. I'm glad that I stayed, too. But it's not it's hard. It's painful. It's been painful to process all the memories. It's been painful to process all the hurt, because if I believe this gospel, where he forgives our sins as far as the East is into the West. And if I believe in the righteousness of Christ, then I can't hold anything against him, but I still had to walk through my own healing process. You know, Tracy, if, if I've listened to you share this story, and <laughs> if I can put it into a succinct thought and see if this is what you would affirm. You said that you found this life um, you love this life. It's it's you don't want to really get sidetracked from this life, but you took a fall. You you maybe knew he was sufficient for a fifth floor, a sixth floor. Would he be sufficient for a seventh floor fall? He was, he is, 
And life for you is and always will be about him who brings you life. And let's just keep that where it needs to be as the priority, as the essential. You know, Tracy, there's actually a verse in the New Testament, I know you know it, that says, be careful to not lose the simplicity of Jesus. Yes. Um, there was a World Bible Conference back in the 1950s with all the major theologians. And during a Q&A time, one person asked this tremendously world-renowned theologian what his greatest thought ever was. He didn't bat an eye. He said, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Yeah. And that's enough. Wow. Yes. It certainly is. Tracy, your story has been wonderfully complex. I can see the threads of G's and woven throughout the fabric of the episodes that you shared with us. It's rich. It's exciting. But I'm going to ask you one last question. This may be the hardest one. And that's this. What is the one supreme revelation that you would like our listeners to know? That to look for God, not in another person and not in a theology, but that he is your life. That verse where it says, I have been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live from the life of God who loves me. And I would just say that we don't need to be afraid. It's like we've had this pandemic and people are so terrified of death or sickness. It's like, there's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's just this thin veil. There's such a thin veil. When Christ is your life, it's like there's a thin veil between this, this side and that side, this has meant a lot to me. C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, "What that is what mortals misunderstand. This is from uh, one of his books. That is what mortals misunderstand. They say of some temporal suffering, no future bliss can make up for it, not knowing that heaven once attained will work backwards to turn even that agony into glory. That's right, because we'll be able to see that agony through the lens of Jesus Christ and what he did in us and through us because of it. And we will glorify him throughout eternity for what he has wrought in our lives. Tracy, it's been a wonderful blessing to have you on the program. You are truly a fountain of joy for Jesus. And I am honored to get a chance to chat with you. Any last words, my dear friend, Frank, before we sign off this episode? I think it, we should take advantage of the privilege to thank Tracy and also to let our listeners know about her book, Unashamed, correct title, Tracy? That's right. And also a new project. You want to plug that real quick? Well, sure. Okay. So, you know, it's hard to hear all this difficult stuff in people's lives. Life doesn't always, like trials come and they go. I am not currently in a trial. My husband and I are actually doing really well and enjoying each other greatly and enjoying Jesus together for the first time. And we took an old house in Wimberley, Texas, and we turned it into an Airbnb. And we're going to have cooking classes and we're just having fun doing that together. So it's called the Bell House of Wimberley. 
Cool. Where in Texas is Wimberley? So our listeners will know where to stop by. It's in the Texas Hill Country near Austin and San Antonio. Okay, very good. And your website, give us a plug for that too. It's just TracyLevinson.com, T-R-A-C-Y-L-E-V-I-N-S-O-N.com. And you are available to do what for whom? I love traveling and speaking. I love speaking with high school people, young adults and adults because <laughs> we're all kids anyway. So right. I, lo- I love it all. So yeah, I love to, to speak and I love to share the good news of Jesus. And so friends, once the veil lifts in your COVID world and you're looking for someone who can step up and deliver a very powerful, impactful message to just that right age group, prayerfully consider Tracy Levinson. Thanks so much for joining us today on this episode of the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Uh, Don't forget, please check us out on our website, ourresolutehope.com. Follow us on our varied social media platforms. And once again, don't forget, choose hope, choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.